0: church. Well, my name is Adrian, and uh, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at E Free, and it's great to be with you. If you're in the venue right now, we welcome you. If you're watching online at CarneyFree.com, thanks so much for, for being here today. we got a, a packed worship service for you today, as we have a number of baptisms, eight baptisms today, four in this service, four in the next service. Uh, next baptism opportunity will be, I believe, June 14th, if you're looking for that, and And then we have plenty of things going on in the church as well. I just reiterate what what, uh, Kent noted. Please check your handout for everything that's happening in the church right now. There's a lot of great stuff going on. Um, But today we're, in addition to all of that, in addition to that great announcement and promotion, we are going to teach through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, it's not the easiest passage. I'll promise you that. If you uh, are following along with your journal each week, doing your soap notes as you're studying the scriptures ahead of Sunday's message, you had an opportunity to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll try to unpack it here together today as well, but but I just want to tell you on the front end, it's not the easiest passage. Maybe if you studied this week, you noticed that. I wonder if you know today, maybe by show of hands, do you know that people are really messy? Anybody with me? Okay, people are really messy, right? Okay, in fact, I have a mirror at home, and so I can attest to that. People are downright crazy. Across every generation, across every nation, across every culture, it's been really, really clear. Humanity has demonstrated again and again that we have a few screws loose, don't we? And yet, it seems to me that we are shocked when we read the news, when we watch the television, that when we go online, that people are crazy. We should not be crazy. We look in the mirror, right? We should not think people are—we should not be shocked that people are crazy while we look in the mirror. We shouldn't be shocked as we read the Bible to see that people are really, really messy. We shouldn't be shocked because as the Scriptures have told us, and as we've all heard, there's nothing new under the sun, Right? So there's a lot of ugly out there. There's a lot of kind of messy and crazy out there. But the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. So as you open up to uh, 1 Corinthians 5, we keep that in mind. The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, as we've navigated the past seven or eight weeks, has been about the reality of like pride and power plays in the Corinthian church that resulted in this divisiveness in the Corinthian church. These next two chapters, chapters five and six, kind of turn a page, and it's not so much about the divisiveness inside the church. Now what it is, instead of the church pursuing unity, instead of that, now Paul has to talk about the fact that in the church, there's just this wicked amount of brokenness and craziness that he cannot believe he's going to address these moral failures in the church. And we'll be addressing them for the next three Sundays in chapters 5 and 6. Remember, this is a broken church that Paul is writing to, but it's still a broken church that can become a beautiful church. Amen? Okay, that's true for us and for every other church as well. Whatever areas of fracture we might have, God can heal. And that's true for every human soul that whatever area of fracture you might have in your soul, whatever ugliness or messiness is in you, God can can heal. God can come in and he can bring healing, he can bring beauty out of the brokenness, and that's a huge part of the theme that we see all across 1 Corinthians. With that, let's read the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians 5, and then a little bit later in the service we'll finish out the chapter. Verse 1. It is actually reported that there is Sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that not even pagans tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little... Yeast He's going to give an illustration here. It says, "Don't you know the little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of that old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are, because you're really in Christ. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a a serious passage, and I do not take it lightly. And I come before you right now just in humility and even with a bit of trembling, asking you, Father, to lead us. Lord, would you give us open minds to what your scripture says? Your word is authoritative over our lives. And so we ask, God, that you give us open minds that we would be led by your scriptures today. Father, would you please help us to remove distractions from our minds at this moment and be open to what your word says. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, like, if you're a newcomer to church this morning... Please come back next Sunday, okay? (laughs) Please come back. I want you to know that, um, you know, this is kind of a passage that is really aimed at people who have been around the church for a long time. So if you're new here, I I want you to know most of our, our messages are aimed at everyone. This one's more aimed at those who have been around the church for a long time and say, I believe in the church, I commit to the church. Even if you are a newcomer and you say, wow, this is kind of intense, I pray even in this, you will get a little bit more of a portrait of the beauty that God intends for his church, which is called the Bride of Christ. So with all that said, what in the world is going on in this passage? Here it is. There's a man in the church who is sleeping with his stepmother. Okay, that's what's going on. There's a man in the church sleeping with the stepmother, and the church is like, eh, whatever. No big deal. Everybody in the church knows it. They say, well, whatever. In fact, even beyond that, they're kind of sticking out their chests in pride at their newfound sexual freedom that they think they have, and they're pridefully saying, cool. No big deal. Look at us well, with all of our freedom. Whatever. Now Paul calls out this man, and he calls out the church. Interestingly, he doesn't call out the stepmother at all. Why is that? Probably because she's not in the church. And Paul understands he really has nothing to say to those who are not in the church He doesn't have any authority there. He doesn't treat them as if they have the Holy Spirit. He knows they don't have the Holy Spirit, so he doesn't try to instruct those outside the church. He just doesn't see that as his place. Instead, he instructs those in the church because he notes here that it's not the impurity of Corinth that is defiling the church. And the city of Corinth was like Las Vegas or New Orleans. It was a very impure place. But he notices here that it's not the purity of Corinth with all of its licentiousness that is defiling the church. Which is amazing because the Greco-Roman world of the day that Corinth is in allowed a level of sexual freedom that was just bizarre. Like it was pretty much in anything goes culture. You think ours is an anything goes culture. Theirs was even more when it comes to the sexual realm. Theirs was even more. But even the Greco-Romans thought that incest was shameful. and So Paul's saying here, you're allowing something in the church that even the pagans think is shameful, and you're sticking out your chest about it. Now, in all likelihood, these are folks who have learned that they have freedom in Christ, but they've misunderstood what that freedom is. They think that Christian freedom is doing whatever you want. And just kind of like, I'm responsible for myself, I can do whatever I want. And that's not Christian freedom at all. Christian freedom is the freedom that we have to obey Christ in everything. It's the joy that we find from living inside of God's boundaries that are made for our flourishing. And when somebody might judge us... We say, I don't really care about your judgment because I live before an audience of God alone. I'm free in that sense, okay? It's not a freedom to go out and do whatever you want. Obviously, if you just go out and you do whatever you want, you won't be free very long. You'll start to be enslaved by all that activity, won't you? And we know people who fall into that all the time. It's not that. Paul even says here in Galatians 5, 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You're called to be free, but listen to the caveat. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. It's not that kind of freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Use your freedom inside the God-given boundaries that he's given you to serve. Now, Paul's response to this newfound sexual freedom that the church in Corinth is holding on to is found right here in verse 5. And we're going to jam here on verse 5 for a few moments. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to underline a few of the phrases in this. Here's the first one. Here's Paul's response. He says, Hand this man over to Satan. I've underlined in my Bible, For the destruction of his flesh. I would highlight that in your Bible right now. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now again, this feels kind of extreme, doesn't it? It feels kind of intense. But what Paul is doing is he's pleading, Listen, listen, the purity of the church, the holiness of God's people is a big deal. So if someone is acting wickedly in the church in such a way that makes the church look like a cesspool, then you better take out a mop. That's what he's saying. This man wants to live inside the kingdom of this world. And remember in the fall, we talked all about this, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And you either can live in the kingdom of God or you can live in the kingdoms of this world, but you cannot straddle both. Right? You can't straddle both. And this man wants duplicity. He wants to live inside the kingdom of God and also live inside the kingdom of the world at the same time, and Paul just says, you can't have that. And so he says, because he wants to live inside the kingdoms of this world, which do indeed have a leader named Satan, then hand this man over. Give him to the kingdoms of this world that are led by Satan, and he can have what he wants. In essence, what he's calling the church to do is to discipline one of its members. And this is one of the hardest things that God gives the church to do, leaders of the church to do, is to discipline when people are perpetually living outside of the, bo- the bounds of Scripture. Now, why would he call the church to discipline of this man? The first reason is this, because the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, and God wants purity, he wants holiness, he wants modesty for his bride, amen? Okay, that was very tepid. I'm going to say it again. What God wants from his bride is what any man would desire from his bride, Man, it's quiet in here. Okay, that's the first reason. The second reason, he says, hand him over, is so that his soul would be saved for the purpose of winning him to Christ. Look again at verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The reason he wants to do this is because he sees this man is actually not a follower of Christ. He's living like the cesspool because he wants to be in the world, because he actually is in the world, so let him be in the world so that his soul may be saved, such that he would be jealous for the church. He would miss the church. He would want the church once again. He would long for his loving community, which he loses on, and he'd say, I will repent and I will turn back. Paul is so concerned with this man's soul that he's willing to do what is very unpopular. And friends, the goal of all church discipline is always restoration. You might want to write that down. The goal of any church discipline is always the goal of restoration. It's never done as a power play. It's never done with pride. It's done with weeping, and humility and fear and trembling. But Paul says, I'm willing to do this because I want to see this man saved. And I'm willing to invoke your ire, Corinthians. I mean, like think about it. Paul understands that he's going to gain the wrath of some people in the church that he loves. Some of his pals are going to say, I know that man that you're calling out. And they're not going to be very pleased with him. But Paul cares more about this man's soul and about the holiness of the church than he cares about his approval ratings. And as a result, he's willing, Dr. Paul is willing to give this man some shock therapy in the hopes of restoring him to health. Verse 9 goes on. And it says, I wrote to you, In my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Okay, so just an aside here. He already wrote to them. And just as you're a Bible scholar, we're all Bible scholars together. God invites us to that. Thank you, God. We all get to be students of the Bible together. We're we're studying before we come to church on Sunday morning. So what does that mean? I wrote to you my previous letter. It means there's another letter. Paul's already had correspondence with his church in Corinth. That letter's been lost to history. This is now the second time that Paul writes to the Corinthians. So this would be called Second Corinthians, really. And then Second Corinthians would be called Third Corinthians, but let's not get lost on that. Okay, I wrote to you in the, my previous letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. He says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church are you not to judge those inside the church? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked wicked person from... Among you. Now, again, the the big idea of the first section that I read is the goal of church discipline is always restoration. That's the big idea of the first section. The big idea of the second section, though, that I just read is out of that discipline, here's what we do. Okay, you discipline the church, not the world. Say that out loud with me. You see it up on the screen. Discipline the church not the world. Here's Paul's instruction for us. We would discipline the church, but not the world. We don't come to the world with a sense of judgment. We don't come to the world expecting that non-Christians would act like Christians. We don't expect that of the world, do we? Why don't we expect that of the world? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay? They're not yet saved by Jesus Christ. And so we can't expect them to live as Jesus Christ would call us to live. And so instead, our posture toward the world is more one of grace. Remember, uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so our posture toward the world is God so loved the world that he gave, so also our kindness toward others might perhaps over time win others toward Christ. That's our posture. It's one of grace and of love toward our unbelieving neighbors and families just as Jesus gave them. I pray that you have faith today to hear Paul's words. Look again at verse 9. He says, Stay away from sexually immoral people. And then he doesn't stop there. If you look down at verse 11, he says, Do not associate with someone who calls themselves a brother or sister who claims to be Christians, but they continuously choose things like greed and idolatry and slander and drunkenness and thievery. Do you see all that? He says, stay away from those folks who call themselves brothers and sisters, but but do those things. But notice in the middle of that, Verse 10, he says, I'm not at all meaning the people of this world. I'm not meaning the people of this world. If you stayed away from them, you'd have no influence on them. Indeed, it would be like the exact opposite of the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. It would be the exact opposite of the great commission to go into the world and tell people about the love of Christ, right? Right? She says, in no way am I telling you to stay away from them. You have to go near to them to some degree if you're going to have any kind of influence whatsoever. Does that make sense? This is the very thing that Jesus got into trouble for, isn't it? So, like, Jesus got in trouble because he he would regularly criticize insiders. There were people in the synagogue... The leaders of the synagogue were people called Pharisees, and then there were these other religious leaders called Sadducees, and he regularly criticized them for their actions and for their attitudes, and the reason he criticized them is because they should' have known better. They're inside the family of faith, and inside the family of faith, they were still acting in a way that demonstrated they really didn't know God. And so he criticizes them. Insiders. But what does he do toward outsiders? Why did Jesus get in so much trouble? Anybody? He hung out with them. Okay, he he regularly was criticized because he would spend time with the riffraff, with sinners and tax collectors, people that they would consider to be Gentiles and prostitutes and the like. Do you notice sometimes that churches today kind of get this backwards? Is anyone following this? You notice how churches sometimes get this backwards? We sometimes expect non-Christians to act like Christ would command them even though they don't yet have the Holy Spirit. And what churches sometimes do and they get in trouble with this is they'll, they'll judge those outside the church, they'll discipline those outside the church where sometimes in some churches, I'm not saying that here, but in some churches I've seen what happens is they kind of wink They kind of wink and even ignore the ugly stuff that's happening inside of the church. And what we should do instead is commit by the power of the Holy Spirit in us to purifying ourselves, to say, I come before you each and every day, God, and I admit that I fall short of your standards. Please forgive me. We commit to purifying ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, while also maintaining a posture of invitation and love and welcoming to those who don't yet know. What if we did that? What if thousands upon thousands of people at Carney E Free Church did that? What if that was our operating procedure? That people said, "Wow." These folks over at Carnegie Free, it's like they regularly look at the log in their own eyes, and because they're consumed with getting the log out of their own eyes, they tend not to look at the speck in everyone else's eyes. And they focus on purifying themselves in the context of community. And they're so loving, and they're such people of integrity, and they honor their marriages so well And they live with purity so well, and they're strong, and they're different, and yet at the same time, they're not judgmental. What if, if thousands of people at Carnegie Free were known for that, friends, we would be known as the most self-effacing, loving, non-judgmental, welcoming people on the planet. And God would be praised. And many, many people would say, Ooh, I want so bad that kind of integrity and strength and holiness and love that they got. Now, the only way that can happen, the only way that can happen is out of verse 12. It says, What business is it of mine? The Apostle Paul says, What business is it of mine? to judge those outside the church. He goes on to say, are you not to judge those inside? Okay, like it's not even my business. I don't worry about that, he says. Whew, thank you, Lord. Like what a nice breath, isn't that? Like to be removed from that burden? Deep breath. God, I don't have to hold on to that. Speaking about liberation... Freedom, to not have to play judge and jury over those who do not yet have the hope of Christ, but just to love them. Wow, that is so liberating. Now, so much more could be said about all of this, but I think we need to answer this question. What does discipline look like in the local church? And if you're taking notes here this morning, I want to give you four principles that you can hold on to, Okay this is what it would look like because the, the Bible does speak to this and it does here, of course. N- number one, there is a big difference between um, hating sin and winking at sin. So all of us sin and fall short of the glo- glory of God, amen? Okay, we're not proud of it, but we all do. And if you sin and you notice your sin and you say, I hate that, you're in a great spot. You're in a great spot. And you go back to the gospel you go back to the gospel day after day after day, and you look at the cross, and you say, Lord Jesus, would you please forgive me? And that's just where we want to be living because we're all in process. We all fail, and we need the gospel over our lives each and every day. There's a big difference, between that and kind of winking at sin. The Christian sees their sin, they hate it, and they fight against it. That's what we, well, that's what we all should do each and every day. Number two, you have to earn the right to confront someone, So what we're not saying here in 1 Corinthians 5 is you can hear about someone doing something second or third hand through someone else online and you can go confront them and be judge in their lives. That's not what Paul is saying. It's earning the right to confront someone. So perhaps you work with someone. You're in the office together and you know that person is here in the church and you happen to know that they're slandering someone else actually the most loving thing to the church that you can do in that moment is to lovingly ask them what's going on here or maybe say someone in your life group and you learn that person in your life group is living in a way that's way outside the boundaries of God and the most loving thing that you can do for that person is to ask them can you tell me what's going on here and can i help you Maybe we can go to the recovery group at church together. We can go to R3 together and we can get help together. Or I have this area of my life that I know is an area of weakness. Would you pray for me and I'll pray for you in this area and let's go after it together. Okay, so so it's it's like a next of kin relationship anytime there's a confrontation. Now sadly, sometimes people respond to that confrontation with stubborn pride, don't they? And when they do, there's a next step And number three is, you would tell the church leaders. And in accordance with Matthew chapter 18, then the church leaders who are responsible for the purity of the bride of Christ would go to that brother or sister and say, hey, we've been told this by a couple witnesses. Is this true? And if it's true, like, would you please leave this so that you could love your church? Because the simple fact is you can't straddle the two. You can't have the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world at the same time. And so would you be willing to leave this and return to the church? And anytime time church leaders do that, it's always with humility. It's always with trembling but before the holiness of God. And it's always saying something like this. You can either have God and the church Or you can have the ways of the world. But you cannot have both of these. It will be one or the other. And the reason that we would do that here is because we're committed to the Bible. Now, many churches won't do this. Many churches just ignore this. But the reason we do this is because we're committed to the Bible. And we're committed to the purity of God's church. And because we want people who are egregiously falling outside of the will of god to come back into the will of god amen Amen. that's why we would do these kinds of things and occasionally every once in a while we don't have to do this often in this church i'm so grateful for that but occasionally when we do someone will say no no thanks i'll do it my way like who do you think you are i'll continue with my slander I'll continue insulting people on Facebook and there's nothing you can do about it to which we'd say, okay, if you're going to continue with that, we're going to ask you to leave. We're going to ask you to leave because you're giving the church a black eye. And we would invite you to come back. But first you have to refuse this. And that's something that's done with weeping when that happens. And always that the goal of church discipline is restoration. And if someone turns, we would welcome them back. Now in this particular case, you have incest. If someone was to be welcomed back with that, there would need to be a process of restoration, wouldn't there? And there would need to be certain boundaries where they could serve and places where they couldn't serve and all of that. But all of this that I just said, I know that's very, very counterintuitive to the culture that we're in today because we're in a non-accountability culture, right? We're in a culture that just kind of runs away from accountability. And I would say this is the very reason why church membership is so important. It serves as a, a boundary for us. It serves as a fence for us that when we're members of the church, we have an extra step, an extra measure of accountability in our lives that helps remind us this is what's expected of the people of God and I will be held to account. And friends, all of us need accountability. I do too. Now, the way we do it at this church is nobody's looking over people's shoulders. We always want folks to to succeed, and the goal of any discipline is always restoration, but we recognize all of us need fences inside of which, well, we can thrive. Now, let me give you the postscript of all of this as I close out this message. You can turn over to 2 Corinthians if you'd like, or you can see this passage up on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter two. This is like how it all went down. Paul gives all this instruction to the church in Corinth, and guess what? They listen to him. They do what he says. And here's what happens next. Chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, verse 5, it says, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Okay, so in all likelihood, what is happening here is that same man who was disciplined back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 has indeed repented and he's returned to the church. The man said, I want the church I can't lose this beautiful community that I'm in. And he's been restored. So it worked. The goal of repentance was restoration. The goal of discipline was restoration. And he's restored into the church. And so Paul says, welcome him. Bring him back in in love. Show him your love. Don't, don't hold your hand at him. Bring him back in. And friends, when that happens, once again, let me just tell you, Wow. How different that is than anything you see in the world, right? All of this is so countercultural, I know. But, friends, well, when the church does this, when the church lives into this, it's saying, I believe in the holiness of the bride of Christ. And I'm willing to follow the Bible even when it's hard. And I love people. I love people so much that I'm willing to do what is hard. And I leave all judgment of those outside of the church to to God. Mine is to discipline the church, not the world. Mine is the posture of grace and always a posture of love toward anyone wanting people to, to be restored. Man, that is strong, that is holy, that is loving, that is forgiving. And when the body of Christ does that, in the midst of this messy world, the body of Christ begins to look really beautiful. Let's ask the Lord's help. Father, uh, I for one am so grateful that you, you have high standards for us. It's been said a lot that you receive us right as we are, but you expect us not to stay right where we are. You expect us to keep growing with you. And you expect us to reflect the beauty of Christ. And so, Father, would you please help us in this? We confess that we need the strength of the body of Christ together. And we admit to you, Lord, that we really, really want to look different than the world around us. So, Father, would you please purify us from the inside out? Help us to live and look like the body of Christ in all that we do, that we would reflect the beautiful character of Christ in all that we say and do. Would you help us to look at a passage like this and, and then look in the mirror and say, Father, where am I falling short? Where have I been judgmental? Where am I missing your standards sexually? With my mouth and the way I speak of others, where am I missing your standards? And Father, we would just give that to you. We would ask for your forgiveness. And we would receive your forgiveness through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.